Good morning, Reliance. Today we'll be reading from Romans 12, if you want to turn your Bibles there. Um, We'll be reading verses 15 and 16. So please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Romans 12 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. You may be seated. Thank you, Mark and Charissa. Where did they go? Oh, you left. That was it. It's been a joy to know you guys. and been good friends. And uh, look forward to how God will continue to use you and your family. Um, what a relevant passage. I don't know how um, more concise you could make it. And uh, it's verses like this that are actually, I think intimidate me in some regard because while they're concise, their application is broad. And I think I have to be careful here. When Paul says, blessed are those, blessed, um, excuse me, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I have to be careful because in attempting a passage that's both concise but then broadened in its application, I feel it's important to pick narrowly how we apply it. It's going to change from different aspects of where we might perceive it in our own lives. For example, I think a passage like this is helpful when you teach a son how to be one who has good sportsmanship. So when you win the the game, make sure that uh, you win with your teammates and rejoice, but at the same point, recognize that those on the other side of the field are mourning or weeping in the sense that they didn't win the game. So celebrate in a way that doesn't um, bring more grief to them, but brings them to uh, your own position as being compassionate towards both sides. My daughters, I would teach them in a passage like this, as if God allows you to so get a job, recognize that there are probably other 15 other people that wanted that same job and yet didn't get it. And while you get to rejoice, and God has been gracious to provide such a thing, mourn or be compassionate towards those that you might know that didn't get it Um, context of a church becomes much more broad i'm not talking necessarily about individuals and so naturally when i come to a passage like this i think it's specific that you narrow it down to how we can respond to 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 it corporately as a people this verse cuts both ways I think it's easier for some of us to rejoice. It's easier for us, some of us, to just mourn. We all go through lives with different situations. The context I need to remind us both of is that something has happened in Paul's mind in light of right relationship with God. Something has changed for the beloved. Romans 12, 1 through 2, he writes, Therefore I urge you, brethren, By the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
And so do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. You can tell, and I think you can see this, whether you're an athlete or whether you're uh, in Christ, through the different ways that we could apply this, but if we were just to generally apply this and understand this, you can tell someone's core values by how they emotionally respond. You can tell a people's uh, value through their emotions, by what they celebrate and by what they grieve over. I need to stress this because Paul is not writing generally just to the world, and we could all acknowledge that we have great reason to rejoice when you get a job and when you get a raise. We have reason to mourn when a loved one passes away, whether it's in the womb or whether in their seasoned life. We have reason to mourn and rejoice like the world, but as transformed people, our means by which we rejoice and mourn is going to be distinctly, I think, different because we've been transformed and we're called not to be conformed. Paul writes about this. I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago, it was maybe three or four weeks ago, when we were beginning the series here in Romans 12, in which he writes in Romans 12.10, which I argued that in light of the transformation that we've experienced in Christ, it's fused us into a whole new type of people. We're a family. So Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And I tried at that point to call us to strive to remind us all that in light of this salvation, we're a family. And as a family, if you know my own family and you know your own family, you typically rejoice over certain things that make the family excited. And as a family, you can determine what they value and what they grieve over by what they emotionally respond to. And a church... It rejoices and it mourns over things that is going to be distinctly different from the world. And so I say all this in my introduction to admit, and we must even ask our own selves, does our rejoicing in our mourning reflect what God would rejoice and mourn over? Because if we're going to find it centrally by what the world does, at times they're going to overlap but sometimes they're going to be in harsh contrast from one another because there is this transformation that's taking place that we learn as a new whole type of people to rejoice over different things and to mourn over different things as well. Something has changed. Let me give you an example of this, and I'll hit this again once more as we go along, but just remember, Paul remembers what we once celebrated. So you remember in the very beginning of Romans chapter 1, we once were without understanding, Romans 1, 31 and 32. Untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although we knew the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they did not only do the same, but we also or also gave hearty approval to those who practiced them. There's, there's a way in which a former family once acted. It rejoiced over things that we now, as this new family, have come to realize in Christ, don't respond in the same way. Once we, once we, what we once rejoiced over, now we, what we'll see, grieve over. I say all of that to make this point. 
if the lens that we look at this is just going to be broadly applied that rejoice with those who get a job and mourn with those who don't get a job, then I think we fail to properly apply such passages as this. We think differently. You can determine the value of a family, their core values of convictions by what they rejoice and mourn over. And so I want to, in this beginning, roughly go really quickly through the first point just to remind ourselves of our former family. Because I think it's helpful to remind ourselves how we once thought, what we once celebrated, and what we once rejoiced over. And as a result of looking at that, then turn our minds and look, particularly in just one avenue, because I think the application of this is broad. But I think as the people of God, if we are of Christ and we love of Christ, there's a certain type of rejoicing and mourning that we respond to. It's different now in light of this transformation. I stress all this to show that we once had a former family. We once gave, at point one, approval to all sorts of rebellious things. I think it's important to make this point, and maybe a belaboring it, um, but there's a sharp difference. Uh, I mentioned Romans one thirty two. We once knew the ordinances of God. We understood that. And God made evident the righteousness of God within us. And yet, we rebelled against it. History shows People, the descendants of Adam, of the family of Adam, which rebelled against God, has traditionally always done the same. It's in the family. We love, we rejoice over those who live. Let's look at verse 32 of Romans 1. And although they know the ordinance of God and those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval. It's the family. This is what the family does. When rebellious nature comes, stands in opposition to God and the righteous living, there's this hearty approval. It mourns those who actually repent. That's what the former family did. And Paul, I think that, Paul did this himself. And he knows that he can relate to this personally. I think the best way, I think, to show this is just walk you through a scenario. Um, If you have your Bibles, as we consider, what does it mean to rejoice with those who rejoice as transformed people? Will our culture, will our city around us determine our value system by what we emotionally respond after? What we rejoice over and what we mourn over? We can see that with the former family. And Paul and Luke make light of this in Acts chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 7. And Stephen is trying to remind the religious leaders, you're in the wrong family. This is what your family's always rejoiced and weeped over. Repent. There's a different way to live and there's a different family to be a part of and it rejoices over an entirely different thing and he shows the contrast of, of this reality. You remember with me, Stephen has been wrongfully accused for his identity in Christ. Lies have been spilled out for him. He's brought before the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Acts chapter 1, I'm not going to go through the whole sermon. The whole sermon is quite, quite great. It's 60 verses though. I'll just walk through it in part and show you how the family reacts. You can determine a family's value by how they emotionally respond. What do they celebrate? What do they grieve over? And Paul's talking about in Romans 12, the Christian ethic. Rejoice and mourn, but we rejoice and mourn out of this transformation we have in Christ. And it's strictly different than what we had once before. Stephen wrongfully accused High priest said to him in verse 1, Are these things so? And Stephen, he said, Hear me, brethren, 
and fathers, essentially. Family, hear me. He's a Jew, and he knows how his Jewish community has responded towards God. The God of our glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Hebron. And he's going to go on throughout the history of how God's people have responded to his decrees. Abraham was given promises. And this is Jacob paraphrasing so that we don't have to go through all 60 verses. And through the, through the blessings, we see, that we see the patriarchs being established. And in that season, the patriarchs, when they were established, they had, a, uh, they had one of the fathers had a son named Joseph. And he writes that even though God was with Joseph, this is how the patriarchs, this is how the family reacted to Joseph. Verse 9, the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt, yet God was with him. Historically and since the very beginning, even though when he started with Abraham, the family, when we saw Joseph, they became jealous and responded with him in that regard. And, and Stephen makes note of that they sold him into slavery. Uh, as we know the story, they even tried to kill him. This is how the families acted. As you go on, as they go into Egypt, this rebellious attitude towards God continues. Moses has been delivered and opened, uh, brought up to bring the people out of Egypt, but repeatedly they would not allow him to walk by God's standard, and they refused him. Look at Acts chapter 7, 36. I'm going to go through all of it, but repetitiously, this family, this is how they've responded to God, and they want the, the way they want the world the way they want it, and not the way that God has wanted it. So it's a former family lifestyle. Verse 36. This man, Moses, he led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Verse 38. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Zion and who was with our fathers and he receiving living oracles to pass on to you. Read this section merely to say, this is how the family, this is the family thing. Joseph was... They were jealous of Joseph. They're going to be jealous of Moses and reject Moses. Even more so, look at verse 39. Our fathers are, were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. For this Moses will, who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him? In verse 41, this is what the family, you can tell the value system of a family by what they emotionally respond to. Not really, they, they did not choose Moses who followed God, but rather rejected Moses who followed God and did this. At that time, they made a calf, brought a sacrifice to the idol, and with were rejoicing. You can tell a family's value system by what they emotionally respond to, what they rejoice and mourn and grieve over. And grieve over. And Stephen says to these Pharisees, in light of Jesus, can't you see what your family's like? Your core convictions, you don't follow after God, but rather reject. This is a historical pattern of the former family. 
Acts chapter 7, verse 51, the hammer falls. As Stephen goes through this history of the family. And he says something which backs them in the corner. And the family must make a decision. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in your heart and ears, always resisting the Holy Spirit, you are doing just as your father did which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute. They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, and you did not keep it. Now how is this family going to respond to this accusation? So often, you can determine the emotions of an individual by how they respond to it. Excuse me. You can, you can tell the individual's convictions by how they respond emotionally to it. And being convicted, they have the choice to rejoice or to mourn or move in that mourning. They move into anger, cut to the quick, verse 54. Now when they heard this, and Paul's not going to be identifying his former family position. And I want you to see what he responds to in light of their response. And when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. And they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven, saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open up, and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. So Stephen is about to be killed. And what's he rejoicing over? Where's his convictions lie? You can tell the individual's core convictions by what they emotionally respond to. Even though he's about to be killed, the Pharisees and the religious leaders who see this, verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice, covered their ears, and this cannot be true. They rushed out at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witness laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Was Paul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You can see the contrast between two different people. One who values their life and one who's willing to give up their life. Two different types of people. Two different core convictions. Two totally different emotional responses. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord Do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Saul's response. Now remember, Romans chapter 1, verses 31 and 32, giving hearty approval towards those who walk in wickedness. This is how the family responds. Look how Paul responds. He's seen this thing. The question that we could ask in Acts is what family is Paul part of or Saul part of at this moment? Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. You can tell, I stress all of this, you can tell a family's core conviction by how they emotionally respond. And if this is true, and Romans 12 is talking about the transformed life And as Paul said already in Romans 12, verses 
1 and 2. Let me read them again. There should be a difference now to how we emotionally respond to the world in front of us and as a family, if we are truly a family. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Here it is, family. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Something has changed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove the will of God, what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. I think now we're ready. Romans 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You can tell our core convictions by which we emotionally respond to. Our former family rejoiced over sin. Even murder. And this has not changed, even in our present era. Our world is constantly, and I say this in the sense of of our former family, because I once identified with them. We celebrated over sin. We rejoiced over it. We, We... promoted those who shook their fist at God. This was how the family acts. And we join in participation. You can tell the conviction of a family by which they rejoice and they grieve over. They grieve over losing a man like Saul. And they did. And Paul was transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ and they can't stand it. And they will seek him out just as like they sought out Christ, just as they sought out Stephen, to kill him, to get rid of him, to slander him. This is what the family does. Stress all this is because I think we can individually apply this, but as a Sunday gathering takes place, I think the question should be is, what's, what do we rejoice over as a people? What do we grieve over as a people, in light of this transformation and new position, in light of this new family that we have been adopted into, in light of the gospel. So which I would like to talk about and point to our present family. Will the world know the core convictions of reliance by what we celebrate and by what we grieve over? And I've chosen to address this not on an individual level, which you could. Maybe we do three sermons on that. I don't know. Chosen to ask ourselves as a people. Like, you go to a Seahawks game. You go to a sports game. It's really tough to rejoice this year, right? If you're a football fan. But you can tell what they're convictionally committed to by what they celebrate. But the church, sometimes we forget. We need to be reminded what is a big win. Makes us happy. Sometimes we need to be reminded what should cause us great sorrow. So I just want to remind you, family, this is what we rejoice over and this is what we, we grieve over. We could apply this naturally like the world would. We, we should be a people who celebrate jobs and cure from cancer. We should grieve over loss of life. We should grieve over sin. But we, 
We're a new family. We change, we're changed by the way which we are now happy. Like, 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 like we, we recognize this present family in light of Christ. We grieve entirely differently now as it comes to death. Right? Before her family. That's it. In the present family, Paul writes, and he reminds the church in 1 Thessalonians, he reminds them, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep or those who have died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who do not have hope. Right? Even though when we have our funeral services, for those of us who are in Christ, the present family, we gather at funerals and we have hope if they have found Christ. I have done funerals. And I'll tell you that it is the greatest privilege to, to be doing a funeral for those who are in Christ. Because there's, there's just grief. The family mourns entirely different. There's a, there's a nature of hope in it. When it comes to sin, this family, the beloved when it comes to sin, our former family rejoiced over sin. And as the scripture says, in light of our present family, our identity with Christ, our response to sin is entirely different. James 4.9 We once gave hearty approval to these things, but now the present family that we have in Christ, be miserable, mourn, weep. Fun family. I mean, think about it. The world gives itself to drunkenness, all sorts of sins. And now in light of Christ, sexual immorality, we grieve. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. So when I read Romans twelve fifteen, if I don't see a difference not just as an individual, but as a people, that we are a people now who rejoice over new things and that we now grieve over new things, then what is the transformation? The church should be, and this is probably where I want to spend the majority of our next of our time, just to show us this. Like if we were to ask, what does the scriptures teach us that the people of God rejoice over? And sometimes you're like, Okay, just tell me what to be happy about. Tell me what, be, what do the scriptures say to be sad about? I've said one sin right here. But if you wanted a, a context of this, because, I mean, Jesus, when he came, he was sitting with sinners and tax collectors. It was the Pharisees who were like, why are you sitting with sinners and tax collectors? And they were upset. They were grieving that Jesus or mourning or they were frustrated that Jesus would associate with some of these people. Jesus, however, had a whole different mindset. And that he came to serve those who were sick. And praise God when they rejoice, or when they respond to the gospel. The church historically has rejoiced over transformed lives. Uh, I don't want to be this church. Not this church, but that, that I, I saw it once. I said, oh Lord, I, I recognize this. But I, I hope we're guarded enough not to do that as well. Pastor comes to the stage, and he has two announcements. 
First announcement, 12 people got baptized this year. A couple. Amen. Praise God. Second announcement, we just paid off the second loan. Standing ovation. And I wonder, I think sometimes we, now that's, we can be critical of other people. And we can do that. And I don't bring that to, to put shame. But it does show that we got to talk about what our family values are. So that when the moment comes, 12 eternal lives totally changed, that's more exciting than paying off a loan. Is it not? And, but to be fair, paying off a loan is exciting, right? But it's what a family celebrates shows its core convictions. And when it mourns over, it reveals what we genuinely hold dear to ourselves. And through the scriptures, we get reminded of what's important and what's not. Because money is one that pulls at our heart. We have more of it, great. It's a good reason to rejoice. But not at the sense of comparison. Like transform lives was always at the forefront of Christ's mind. Luke chapter 15. You will see throughout that whole chapter what it looks like, what God seems to be happy about and what he mourns over. For the sake of time, I was going to present three. I'll only present the two. One, Luke chapter 15. As he's trying to teach those who are around him, his disciples and the large crowds, this is what gets me excited about, what gets me, makes me happy, and this is what grieves me. Verse 8. There was a woman. He's trying to get this, this Im- image of what he seems important, what gives us emotional joy, him emotional joy. Of what a woman, if she has ten silver coins... And loses one coin. Does not light a lamp and sweep the house. Search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends or neighbors. Saying, rejoice with me. Be happy, celebrate. For I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One of the things in which the church has historically enjoyed is transformed lives. While the world gets, uh, gives hearty approval towards sin, the church rejoices when there is repentance over sin. It's a, it's a value system which makes us happy. Transform, transformed lives makes the church happy. But even more to solidify this truth, Luke 15, the prodigal son. And the prodigal son gives the imagery of two sons and their responses. And when you look at the two sons, you're going to see two entirely different emotional responses. Read with me. Luke 15, 11. What we're trying to resolve in our minds, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We We rejoice and we mourn differently now in the present family. And he said, A man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, 
Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. It's kind of an arrogant, arrogant request. Dad, I want you dead so I can have your money. Not only that, you're going to see his core values of what he not only thinks of his father, but what he thinks of his money. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Dad, I want you dead, so I want your money. And this is what I think of your money. Man, if you were the father, if you have anything of justice within you, like, that's wrong. Verse 14. Son's, son, disobedient son, the former son, right? So he went and he hired himself out to one, oh, excuse me, verse 14. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. And he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to come to one of the citizens of the, that country and sent him into his fields to feed swine. Culturally, like for a Jew to do this, he's at, he's at the bottom. Great, great reason to mourn. Had money before. Gone. He's hit bottom. You see his responses in verse 16. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and not one was giving anything to him. Friends are gone. Those who used to, to love that which you celebrated over, they're gone because they love money. That's how the former family works. Something happens in verse 17. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Repentance. So now, a family. You can determine a family's core convictions by how they emotionally respond. I said that like several times, right? How's, what is the conviction of this father who's about to receive? You know the prodigal son story. We're all familiar with it. Verse 20. So he got up. He came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, You're going to see a sincere apology here. Father, I have sinned against heaven, against God, and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Core convictions, emotional response of the father. But the father said to his slave, Quickly, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and his sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You imagine. So he gave the money to his son and he went off and he's spending it wherever he wants. You imagine the father was mourning. You bet he was. But when the mindset changed, 
Let's celebrate. Verse 24, For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. I imagine that the story could have stopped there, but it wouldn't drive home the stark dis- the distinction between a former family and a present family, telling the, revealing the convictions of an inv- individual by how they respond emotionally. This is what the, why the parable is so helpful. Verse 25. Now as his son, older son, now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, rejoicing, celebration. This, this, this is fun. Might anticipate that he might participate. It's, it's his brother. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry. You can tell the individual's core convictions by how they emotionally respond. Beloved, as a church, I'm reading this as, for, as, a, as a people. You can tell what, we, what our core convictions are by how we celebrate and how we grieve. He became angry and was not willing to go in. His father came out and began pleading with him. He answered and said to his father, Look, look, let me set this straight. For so many years I've been serving you, and I have never neglected a commandment of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat, goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He wants the calf. He wants the celebration. He sees what's in it for him. And he can't see his core convictions, his emotional response to the situation has revealed in the parable what he's all about. Him. And the Father's perspective and the world at which he rejoices over is over a changed mind. A man, his son. Verse 31. And he said to him, I think, I think it's helpful He's still being, the father's being gentle. Son, come on. You have always been with me and that all that is mine is yours. You want the cow? Everything is yours. But we have to celebrate. We have to rejoice. For this brother brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. And was lost and has been found. Reliance. When I read Romans 12 and I think of it as a church. What will we be known for? And what we rejoice over? And what we grieve over? You can tell 
the convictions or the core values of a people by what they rejoice and mourn over. Point three, convictional response. I think it's very easy, very easy to know our new identity in Christ and to look back to our former family and criticize. To demean, um, to reject, rather to invite, rather to mourn and grieve over with compassion. The world's dying. It's rejecting Christ. It rejoices over sin. And Stephen, how did he respond? Praying for them. Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He's showing us just like what Christ did for us. It's so easy to exalt ourselves and then look into the world and condemn them rather than receive them and plead with them. There's a better family. And you all know, whether it be a son, a father, an uncle, a cousin, the people of God grieve for those who do not know Christ yet. This is something that Christ, this is why he went to the sinners and tax collectors and sat with the prostitute. And he sat with them out of Romans twelve fifteen. What is it? It's compassion. He identi- it's a call to identify with others. It's less self-centered and more focusing on the benefit of those around us. And the church ought to be so guarded by that reality that we do mourn for the world around us, not rejoice for its demise. Yes, paying off a loan is good, but when, when someone gets baptized, this is why we do what we do. We put the baptismal pool down here. Sometimes we go down to the river. We bring the, I loved it. I sat back there and I stood back there. And we bring on the kids person gets dunked. The former family didn't do that. And when they come up, I love seeing the kids, what they did. They are just, yes, yes. We're teaching our convictions by what we emotionally respond to. And so when we see transformed lives, it's a party. When we see young families willing to forsake this world to go internationally on missions. Some of you are like, why are we making the Gregory family such a big deal? The point was, we rejoice when God sends his people to save a lost world. When there are couples in this church, and there are, who are going to be going off to do seminary, or even consider ministry. Just think of how small we are. And yet God says, I'll raise up leaders within this people. We rejoice. This is a big deal. You can determine a value system by how the people respond to it emotionally. Those are easy things, I think. 
And if we're not tempted, we can focus so on the good things, sometimes we never focus on the things we, we ought to pay special attention to. Sin. Yes, it's wrong. It hurts. But in the attitude of forgiveness, we grieve. So often in the Christian life, how are you doing? Good. Why? Because we're so socially bent on rejoice. Not doing good. Sinned against others. We grieve over sin. And, and, and just like the world, we grieve over death, we grieve over jobs lost, but we're a different family. And the way that we respond to the things in front of us should reflect what God is so much or so excited about. And if we can't do that, how in the world will the world know what God is and what he rejoices over and what he grieves over? When the church begins, and think about it, when the church starts affirming sin rather than grieving over it, it's just participating with the former family. And it doesn't give them anything to recognize that's better. But in light of how we do that, it should be done compassionately, graciously, and humbly. And I think this is what Paul, this is why he goes to verse 16 and he says what he says. Remember with me, Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So be of the same mind towards one another. Family, know your core values. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. I find it interesting, and I've hit it hard, and I think maybe... Maybe it's because it's in the Christmas season. We have an opportunity. We know why Christmas is here. Isn't it interesting that the former family that we once identified with celebrates, maybe unaware, the appearing of the king. And what a great act, like great way to speak in, he's coming back. And we're going to rejoice. And when he comes back, we don't want to see you mourning his arrival, but to rejoice with us. In the life of Christ, there were a couple moments where he did weep. He wept over Lazarus and his death. But even in his grief, he knew he could resurrect him. So in the moment, he's rejoicing and he's, you know, he's weeping, but then he's like, wait a moment, you're going to rejoice with me. He felt compassion for people when they didn't have shepherds. People with, they're a sheep without a shepherd. But the lack of repentance has always caused him great mourning. And when he was rejected by his own people and as he walked out of Jerusalem, Luke records, shortly after Luke 15, after he's rejected, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. Untransformed lives grieves us. Why? It grieves God. And we rejoice every time a soul responds to the gospel. That's what's most important to our family. 
because it's how we become the family of God. My ask of you, for us as a people, as we continue on the journey of becoming more integrated in the lives of one another, will we be known for this? The transformation of people's lives, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. Will the people know our core convictions by how we respond emotionally? Because they will. Let's pray. Lord, throughout this world, we know